Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. So glad that you are here. We are beginning another a new series today, but, but at the same time, uh, almost a continuation uh, going going forward with, you know, birth, birthing out of hope. So we're going to talk a lot about hope today, tying two things together, hope, hope and joy. In Luke chapter 2, I'm going to begin in reading in verse 1, just to kind of set the stage, the promise that was made. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first regi- registration when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth through Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So I want you to notice the circumstances that's taken place. Uh, primarily with the, with the shepherds who are minding their own business, paying attention to what is in front of them. An angel appears. They are terrified. I don't know if you could kind of put yourself in that same situation of, uh, I mean, they'd never experienced this before. So I know it's easy to read the Bible and think that these people were coming in out of experiences with angels all the time. It just is not the case. So they are out of nowhere appears this angel that tells them not to be afraid. And so when they are focused on their circumstance, they're filled with fear. But when they listen to the message of the angel, the angels told them to fear not because the angel was bringing them good news that were, uh, and again, we'll talk about this later, but the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. And here is the good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the promised one, the Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened with the Lord is made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now we've been seeing how faith looks backward. Faith looks at the 
primarily, and we say the highs and the lows, but the reason that there's highs is because you can see the lows in comparison. But, but faith looks back and sees the, the pits and the darkness and the confusion and the worry and the anxiety and the, uh, the unanticipated, the confusing. It looks back and is able to see God's grace and mercy pulling us through every time. And so that's what faith is really developed upon, is the dark moments of life when we know that God is at work. And so I want you to hear that very closely. Faith is really about knowing that God is at work regardless of our circumstances. Because of our faith, we're able to look forward in hope. So faith look back, looks back, hope looks forward. And when these two qualities are rightly applied, it frees us to be able to love in the moment because I'm not worried and wrapped up with my past. Now, I'm not going to take a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us are often paralyzed with our, about our future, concerning our future because of our past. How many, how many things in our past haunt us that we regret, that we wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, things that we wish we could have done differently, decisions that we wish that we had not made. But when you're living in faith, you realize that all things work together for good. And so faith allows us not to be stuck in the past. Faith gives us permission to look with anticipation into the future. But... At the same time, when they're working together, it frees us to love now. Because I'm not only trying to anticipate and produce and predict the future and what God's going to do. That's a really dangerous puzzle to try to solve, to figure out what God's going to do in the future. There's no possible way. And, I, and, I've, and I've talked about this a lot a while back, but there is no formula to what God is going to, de- to do. Sometimes he calls fire down from, uh, from heaven, and, and sometimes uh, the man is shut up in a prison the rest of his life. Uh, one time God heals this one, the next time God doesn't heal that one. And so you look at the formula, and you're not going to find one because God's will does not depend upon knowing a formula. <clears throat> but there's no point when I can tell you that in my own life, I am less loving when I'm paralyzed by my past. I get nervous. I get anxious. I get panicky when I think about what I deserve from my past. And when I'm stuck looking into the future, anticipating so that I can predict or probably more rightly so, control the future, I'm not free to love either. In fact, in both of those circumstances, I'm very impatient. I'm very, it's easy. To, I'm, I get desperate. I get frustrated. I get confused. I get short-fused. But I'm probably different than most of us in that regard. I probably am, now who am I kidding? We're all like that, right? But if I didn't have to deal with my past and I didn't have to deal with my future, I'd be free to be at peace in this moment. Amen? And I think that's what God has called us to do, is to be able to live in love in the moment so that we're not trapped by our muscle memory of our fallen nature. So because of God's faithfulness, I know that even in the deepest pit of worry, despair, frustration, I know that God is at work. There are things in my life that I would not want to redo. Things in my life that I would not want to experience again. In fact, there were things in my, in my past that even in the moment, I did not want to be in them. I would take anything for those experiences now. Because they form us. And they place us, and God uses those things for his good when we release them to him. Hope knows that God is at at work for his glory and to 
be produced in our lives. So we know, well, we say that we love him. We say that we trust him. We say, but you know what really proves what we say is what we hope in every day. That's what proves it. It is really easy to say we love God. It's easy to say we trust God. But if you're not living in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's just lip service. So from our last series going through 1 Thessalonians, we learned that hope is found primarily in three places. It's found in the resurrection of Jesus and trusting in his resurrection. We can trust our own resurrection and we dwell on that. And when we think about Jesus being able to overcome death and promising that same resurrection power to us, not just with our eternity, but with every day being able to walk in the life of the Spirit, being able to walk in the power of the Spirit in resurrection power, this is, this is incredible. And if we, if we are caught up in thinking about this throughout our day, we are filled with hope. Because what could man do against us? I mean, there's really, we shouldn't fear anything in this world. We shouldn't be anxious or worried about anything in this world because we know that we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his resurrection power. The second is in our giving that hope away to others and, and bringing others along and helping them become more and more like Jesus. Uh, the, the biblical word for that would be disciple making. And Paul says, what is there in my, I mean, my whole hope is that you are walking with the Lord. And so we draw hope by our investment in the people around us. And, li- and lastly, we discover hope by daily sanctification of being more and more like Jesus, learning to think more and more like Jesus, for this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And that's where we draw hope. So living in hope then allows us, this is a little bit, I said, you know, God doesn't work according to formulas and that's very true, but he does establish some track records and some paths for us to be able to understand. So, so follow me. I'm going to try to be actually redundant as many times as necessary this morning because I want us to walk away with this just securely in our DNA. Living in hope then, in a conscious state of being, not moment from, from moment, but, but every moment, Living in hope allows other things to be developed in our lives by the Spirit. So if I don't have hope, so what, what, what I'm saying is hope becomes a door or, or probably more like a key that unlocks all sorts of other benefits and blessings from the kingdom. Now, if I'm not living in hope, then I don't have the door open where the Spirit can develop other things in my life. And what I want to do now is turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you would like to join me there, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. So remember, if you're not going to live in hope, there are other benefits that you will not qualify for. Hope is a qualifier, all right? So look at this in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And by evident, it means clearly seen. It's easily observable. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And I want to take a moment because I know most of us don't know any sorcerers. But this, this word, and it's a decent translation, but pharmakia means drug use, often associated with idolatry. So when you think about sorcery, I don't want you to think about, you know, whipping up spirits and conjuring around a big, you know, tub. I want you to think about, well, maybe that's not what you think about, but when I think of sorcery, I think of spells and magic wands. This is not what necessarily the word means. It means drug use. 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. That word uh, means carousing. All right. Uh, the, the literal word picture is people uh, running up and down the street in the middle of the night, uh, loud and obnoxious and uh, without self-control. And things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, clear. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So when you compare the, the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, you'll see that of all the things that the Spirit produces in our life, hope isn't one. And I want you to pay close attention to that. Hope isn't a fruit of the Spirit, at least not according to Paul. But hope is produced, isn't it? Hope is produced. We are commanded to have hope. We are told to walk in hope and to live in hope. Over and over, the word hope is used. This is not a study on the word hope, but I want you to look now at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So when we draw near, what is it that we are to have? The full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, is that hope is the product of full faith. So when you are trusting in God as a lifestyle, every moment of your life, trusting in him, building hope as you are experiencing this life full of faith, knowing that God is at work always, that God is producing in us always, we get filled with hope is the product of living in full faith. So if you want to experience hope, that's on you. Now, the spirit will produce in you love. And the Spirit will produce in you joy. But the key that unlocks joy, that gives the Spirit the ability to produce in you, well, that's on you. Because joy, then, is a choice that you must make in what you do with hope and how you examine and interpret your circumstances from your past. Well, how you're able to see that God is at work in the, in the mountains and the valleys. And as you stake your claim in the full faith that because of what God has done, I know what God will do. And when you make that and you live in that, it will begin to change your processes. It'll begin to change your perspective. It'll begin to change. And I'm telling you, when your perspective shifts, your circumstance tends to not matter as much. So you can tell, you know, it's, again, it's really easy to give lip service to this and to say, yeah, I, I have full faith. Well, here's how you know if you have full faith. Here's how you know. It's really easy. Do you live in hope? Or do you get easily impatient, frustrated, fearful, worried, anxious, controlling, manipulative? 
See, hope is believing that God is good and that God is at work in us and allowing, hope is allowing God to work through us. So again, you begin to see what hope is if you take all of the definitions of hope and you kind of boil them down, what you have is, is joy. Hope in the Old Testament is the word tikva. It means, uh, it's, a, it's a word picture in Hebrew. Have you ever played tug of war? Or maybe not even tug of war. Have you ever held onto a rope and just pulled something into yourself or pulled yourself into something? And, and that's what the word hope means. It means to, to be uh, intentionally drawn and, and your hope is what's on the other side of the rope. It's what your rope is attached to. So as you're pulling yourself through life, your hope is what you're hoping is on the other side. Your expectation of what's on the other side of the rope. So ask yourself this. In your life, the way you've orchestrated it, the way you make daily decisions, the thing that you are pulling into yourself, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is that, is, that, is that God's will for your life regardless of the circumstances? If not, hope is resting and God is at work in me and through me. Otherwise, your hope is misplaced. And if your hope is misplaced, what's going to happen is your hope, your hope, becomes very wishy-washy. It becomes very dependent upon the circumstance that you find yourself in because when you sit every day of, okay, well, I got to get ahead today, whatever you're lassoing and whatever you're pulling yourself into, that's what my hope is. And when you get to the end of it, it might be good and it might not be good. But here's what it, you need another lasso tomorrow because you're constantly having to throw your rope out. Life becomes a series of a roller coaster ups and downs, and then you got to fix your hope on the highs and the lows, and it doesn't become hope, it becomes happiness, and when you settle and be content with happiness, you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster that is constantly, in order to feel good about your day, you're going to have to always get your way, and it doesn't produce Christ, so the Spirit actually uses the hope that you cultivate to produce joy in your life. And you are called and even commanded to live in hope, to live in expectation, to live headed toward Jesus, trusting him, fixing your mind on him, lifting your eyes above your circumstance and being able to see a bigger, already resolved issue. To have a higher view, to live on a higher plane. So when you compare the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, you, you, you know full well, as, as I do, that you don't demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit when you're angry, frustrated, nervous, worried, fearful. You're not producing the fruit of the Spirit when you're producing the works of the flesh. You're not free to experience two emotions at once. You can't produce a fallen characteristic and a redeemed characteristic simultaneously. You get to choose one, though. What we hope in determines which one we're choosing. But when we haven't planned, when we haven't built hope. So faith, full faith, brings us to hope. Full hope. Not circumstantial hope. Full hope brings us to joy. So faith knows that God is at work. Hope proves that you believe that is true. All right, let's shift gears. 
So hope is the expectation that comes from full faith. And when hope is full and your life is built on that, the spirit begins to produce joy. And joy is much deeper than happiness. Happiness is an emotional uh, experience and it changes with circumstances. It changes with your mood. But joy is something else. Joy in the scripture is the word akara. It, it is a deep calm, so deep that it's unaffected by the waves of life. It isn't circumstantial at all. Joy is much, much deeper than circumstances. It just knows that God is at work and that we don't have to control, we don't have to understand what he is doing in order to be able to trust him. We don't have to be able to predict. We don't have to be able to declare it. Our responsibility is not to know. Our responsibility is to obey and trust him. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. Think of Luke chapter 1, verse 44. You don't have to turn there. I want to read it. It's when uh, Mary goes and sees her cousin or relative, Elizabeth. And here's what Elizabeth said when she heard Mary. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Wow, huh? The angels are going to say, hey, he's going to bring joy, which will be for all people. And the people who immediately come into contact with this experience it. I think of the shepherds. We just read that, filled with joy and glorifying and praising and praising God. Uh, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, it's very explicit. When the wise men show up, and they talk to Herod. And then Herod kind of gives them the, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, when the wise men finally go and they see the star over the manger, it says when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great Joy, and it's over and over we begin to see it. Those who were living in the expectation of hope get to experience joy. But on the other hand, you have people like Herod who were living in the expectation of circumstances. And when he heard from the wise men, he was troubled deeply. See, the difference is living in the expectation of God being at work and not warring against Him. That'll determine whether or not you're going to live in joy or not. You want joy apart from that? It cannot be found. There is no joy because it is only produced by the Spirit, and the Spirit will only produce it in the person who is living in full hope of Jesus Christ. Wanting what He wants more than wanting what we want. And yes, God will allow you to have what you want, but it will not come with joy. So often, I wonder, what are we waiting on to be able to have the joy of Jesus? Remember, Jesus brings joy for all people. It's for all, but not everyone will live in it. It's available to everybody. It's an opportunity. It's not an obligation. But joy is birthed in us by the Holy Spirit. But it is, it is fruit that is born from hope. Hope is your choice. Joy is what God gives in exchange. But if there isn't hope, if you're not living in daily, momentary hope, 
there will not be joy. So our hope is in Jesus. And our joy comes from Jesus getting what Jesus wants. His work, his life being manifested through us, through good and through bad circumstances, through comfort and through loss, through ease and through difficulty, seeing Jesus at work through all things, this is hope. And it produces a settled, deep joy that cannot be affected by the highs and lows of life. So if you misinterpret hope, then you're going to hope things get better. And your hope will always be in your circumstances changing. And again, that's not hope, that's wishes. That's wishes. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Look, see, so joy is a choice. That's, that's the, the message today. Joy is a choice. And joy doesn't all of a sudden happen. Joy doesn't come with a phone call. Joy doesn't come with an email. Joy doesn't come with a paycheck. It's cultivated through expectation and the direction that you choose to live your life. You won't have the joy of Jesus when you're counting on everything else to produce satisfaction in you. You will, not, you will not have the joy of Jesus when you are distracted and you're jumping over obstacles that you and your enemy has set. You can't have the joy of Jesus when you're pursuing your own dreams and your own selfishness. They're not compatible. And we live in a day where people want joy without the work of hope. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Jesus on the other end of the rope, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, even for Jesus, joy was a choice. Joy is a choice. Who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Hanging on the cross, he's filled with hope, knowing that joy is on the other side of God's will being accomplished in him. Joy didn't look at the circumstances of life. It looked at the purposes of God. It looked for the glory of God. It knows that God is at work and it will trust him because of his faithfulness. Jesus could see the other side of his circumstances. And I'm not trying to say that the bad things of our life were necessarily good things. What I am saying is that God uses everything in our life. If we will look and see that God is putting ministry in our pockets to be able to declare his goodness through the highs and lows of everything. Joy allows you to say yes to God's work, even in the face of fear, anxiety, worry, distress. Look at uh, James chapter 1. Talked about this a little bit last week. 
It says, uh, count it all joy, my brothers, for a um, good translation of that is to consider it joy, uh, to rename it joy. We'll talk about that in just a second. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, so when a trial comes, just go ahead and name it joy because that's what it's going to produce. Just go ahead and name it joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That is patience. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, that you may be mature to the very end, lacking in nothing. That word comes from the same word where we get the word holy, without any missing parts. So when you go through various trials, when you go through difficulty, just go ahead and look at that difficulty and say, nope, you're joy. Because that's what you're going to do. You're going to produce patience in me. Patience is going to produce maturity. And maturity is going to produce holiness, which is like Jesus, which is what God wants all along. So come what may, whatever trial is coming into our life, you're joy. Because that's what you're going to produce, Christ-likeness. You want joy? I'm sorry to say, you'll never have it if you're trying to create it or you're trying to control it by your circumstances. That's just not where it comes from. All right, let's turn to Philippians chapter one. I know we're all over the place this morning. Trying to, it's getting cold outside, trying to get your, some of you have arthritis in your thumbs. Trying to get your thumbs to work out this morning. I know that for a reason. Philippians chapter 1, verse, beginning in verse 12. I won't read all of it, but uh, remember Satan had, had come to God. He was appearing in God's sovereign court. <clears throat> and, uh, and all of the created uh, angels are there. And, and uh, Satan looks at the, the father and, uh, and said, You know, uh, if you just changed Job's circumstances, you'd ruin him. I mean, the only reason he's faithful is because you keep blessing him. I said, no, uh, I don't think that's where Job's joy comes from. It's not from his circumstance. And so remember, Job loses it all, even his health. And he said, naked I came into the world, naked I'll leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's joy. That's, that's joy, and it's scratching my head, and it's trying to figure out where do I go from here, and it's trying to figure out how did I get here in the first place, but it's not. It's not missing the point. Paul also had a lot of unfavorable conditions, circumstances uh, in his ministry, but you know the one thing that he always wanted was to preach the gospel, the good news of great joy, which shall be to all people, and he wanted to do it in Rome. He wanted to go to Rome to do it. So in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, it says, Paul purposed in the spirit that he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must see Rome. In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, he says, so as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach, but he got there in a way that he was not planning but Paul was able to release his circumstances to allow God to do in those circumstances whatever God willed. And this is a result of faith. Paul has been here before. It had produced hope. 
And we're looking at the book of Philippians, which is the epistle of joy. So Jews and Romans had plotted against Paul, and he became a prisoner in Caesarea for two years. And while he was there as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. And so what this does is it puts him on a boat to Rome. And not as a preacher like he wanted, but as a prisoner. But it didn't matter to Paul because I never am going to try to predict what God's going to do. I just know that I'm going to Rome. And so he was set on God's plans, not his own plans. While he is on his way to Rome, he gets into a shipwreck. Right? Paul is shipwrecked. This is in uh, Acts 27. So Paul is shipwrecked on an island for three months. And when they're finally able to set sail for Rome, once he got there, he was placed under the watch of the Praetorian Guard. He is chained. Well, history tells us that these men worked in six-hour shifts. So he's chained to multiple guys a day. Now, the believers that are at Philippi were very aware of Paul's heart, his desire, and now his circumstance. And so they sent their pastor, Epaphroditus, to check on Paul and to send a message from them to Paul. Now, they, we don't really know what that message was, but the contents of, of the letter to them, back to the epistle of Philippians, uh, gives us a few clues. So I want to begin in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now remember, Paul has been in prison for two years. He's been shipwrecked for three months. And now he is chained to multiple guards a day. And he says, I want you guys to know what's going on here. This is actually worked out really great for the gospel. See, what Paul was saying is, it's not about happenings to me. It's not about my circumstances. It's about God's providence being worked out in my life. Yeah, I had some other plans, but I'm not tied to my plans. I want what God wants more than what I want. See, the Christian should never develop a victim mentality. We're not victims. Not if God is sovereign. God is at work. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, God is at work. If He is sovereign, He is in control. And He can use all things for His glory. And because that is true, if I'm on the mountaintop or I'm in the pit of despair, doesn't matter as long as God is getting what God wants. My responsibility is to see in every moment what is it that God wants in this moment. What can I do? What can I be in this moment? All things work together for good. God is always doing something in us so that he can do something greater through us. But if we refuse it, if we escape it, if we push against it, we're going to miss it. And if you miss it, you forfeit joy. Now there's... Paul talks about, we won't get into all of them, but Paul talks about four different things, thieves that will rob joy from you. And they're in each chapter. You want to go back and read those. But the first one is circumstances, people, things, and worry itself, the mind. But in your situation, finds you in God's will, then you will find God's will in your situation. 
Whatever may happen, whatever darkness looms, when it creeps in, it is because God allows it to creep in. And if God allows it, then he will be with me in the valley of the shadow of death. And he will empower me and he will protect me and he will provide for me. And everything that I need in order to get through that like Christ, he is providing. But if I'm trying to escape it, I will miss all that. I'll get frustrated. I'll get, I'll get desperate. I'll get nervous. I'll bail. But whenever this thing comes into my life that I'm trying to avoid, if it will find me in God's will, then I'll be able to find God's will in it. Look at verse 13. He talks about my bonds in Christ. Verse 15, preach Christ. 16, preach Christ. 18, Christ is preached. 19, the supply spirit of Christ. Verse 20, Christ shall be magnified. Verse 21, to live as Christ. Verse 23, to be with Christ. Verse 26, rejoicing in Christ. 27, the gospel of Christ. 29, given on behalf of Christ in every situation. And remember where Paul is at in this moment. The good and the bad. You've got to look for two things. To extend the message of the good news of great joy which shall be to all people. And two, to exalt the master in every situation. And both are possible when your hope comes from faith. You're able to do both of these things. Look at verse 12 and 13. Paul says, advance the gospel, the good news. That's the, uh, it means to blaze a trail, to open a door. Paul's chains had given him contact with lost people. And if, if Paul was focused on his chains, he would not be able to see the brokenness of people around him. Verse 13 tells us this is the palace of Caesar's court itself. Now, when Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9, God told him, you'll preach to Jews, Gentiles, and kings. And Paul always knew that one day, that's why I think that Paul, because of this prophecy that was over him, you will preach to kings. Paul always knew he was going to be looking at, at Caesar. But I think that Paul had expected this idea of walking in like Elijah with Ahab. But as he, as he watched and as he learned and as he developed and as he sat in relationship to Christ, he learned it really doesn't matter how I stumble into the courtroom. What matters is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached in Rome. So I don't really care how I get there. I can go there as a, as a lauded prophet or I can go there as a prisoner in chains. It really doesn't matter. It won't affect the message at all. This praetorian guard, I mean, they were the elite. They were like the master soldiers. And they had been chained to Paul at all times. And Paul was attached to multiple guards Every day. Now, if you were chained to Paul for six hours, what do you think you'd hear? Whining? Oh, woe is me. Let me tell you about what's going on in my life. Complaining about everything. You call this bread? Entitlement? Lament? Woe is me. Let me go. Let me get out of here. Or the gospel? What do you think these guys are going to hear? This is what you call a captive audience. Not only did Paul get a go, they couldn't walk away. I love it. Look at chapter 4, verse 22. Paul said this, All the saints greet you. This is back to Philippians, by the way. Philippians 4, 22. All the saints greet you. 
especially those of Caesar's household. Hey, Paul, who are you writing? Well, I'm uh, writing to Christians in Philippi. Oh, tell them, tell them, uh, tell all of our brothers and sisters there we said hello. The guards, the Praetorian guards said hello. Can you imagine? Paul is writing back saying, man, that's just like one right after the other. It's like as soon as I disciple one of them, another one comes in and locks himself in. But if he's focused on the chains, he won't see it. If he's focused on the prison, he won't see it. You got to look above the circumstances to be able to see it. What is God trying to do? Well, God's brought me here. God always knew I was going to be here. So how can I give the good news of great joy, which shall be to all people? Don't ever despise your chains. Count them as joy. God uses them. This was the only way that Paul could have ever had any sort of access to Caesar's court. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having this is uh, chapter 1, verse 14, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul said, because of my perspective of being in prison, all of the Christians that are around Rome, most of them have gained confidence. Did you know that, that, that boldness and fear are equally contagious? And Paul was bold. And it actually emboldened those who weren't in chains at the time. See, sometimes God may use circumstances in your life to help you blaze a trail for other people to follow. Joy that comes from hope, hope that comes from faith, birth from difficulty. The second thing I want you to see, and I'm almost finished, is there in verse 15. It says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, <clears throat> but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. I have joy. Yes, and I will rejoice. I am rejoicing now, and that's a joy that's going to stick for a long time. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Some preachers are presenting the good news from a good heart for Paul and for Christ. Some are preaching to make it harder on Paul. But in verse 18, Paul shows his true character. All that matters to him is that the gospel is presented. He cares more about the gospel getting out than he cares about himself getting out of the trouble. You see, joy isn't found from questions like, am I being treated fairly? Or is justice being done? Or am I getting what I think I deserve? Or what, you know, what about me? Or I need to get mine? Or what about my rights? Joy will never come at the end of those questions. It comes from knowing that through every circumstance of life, the good news is being delivered and Jesus is being elevated. Look at verse 20. This is in closing. Paul said, and it is my eager expectation and hope. Remember what these things go together, right? What you're expecting, what you're looking for, 
and hope go together. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, joy comes from denying one's self and and dying to our selfishness. From making a name for ourselves through comfort and ease to making a name for Him through a cross. And if it takes my death for Christ to be magnified, then so be it. It's still deliverance. This word is an interesting word, earnest expectation or eager expectation. It comes actually from three words put together. Uh, Three words are, are these in English, from, head, and thinking. You put those three words together and it comes up with earnest expectation. What Paul is saying is that he can experience joy because he has turned, and, and maybe, maybe Paul even has the idea of stretching his head and thinking. Not just his, his mind, but also his eyes. He is stretching away from his circumstances and looking toward Jesus. It's an anticipation. It's a... It's a Uh, intentional movement. The earnest expectation is I am lifting my eyes away from the situation I find myself in and I'm looking unto Jesus and I'm headed that direction. And while I'm waiting, good news, which will be for all people, joy to the world. So that's my prayer for us this morning, is that we will learn. We live in, if you look at the works of the flesh, that's the world we live in. My prayer is, is that we, people that claim faith, that, that claim to live in hope, that have a hope, is it producing joy? Our earnest expectation is to stretch our head as far away from our circumstances as we need to in order to be able to see Jesus elevated and to see the the good news of great joy delivered no matter where we are. Can you stand with me, please? Well, so, you know, we've been all over the place this morning, and I I recognize that. Um, but, But what I really want us to focus on is not all of it. I want, to, I want to focus on one bit of it. And I want to ask you, what's on the other end of your rope? What are you pulling into yourself? If you could have what you're holding on to, what would it be? If it's not the will of God, the purpose of God in your life, it will never produce what you're looking for. And you can work and you can, you can modify and you can rearrange and you can continue to manipulate and control, but it does not have the capacity to do what the Spirit can do. We say we want joy. We talk about the season of joy. Many of you probably have shirts that say joy on them that you'll wear. I hope that that's true. But we need to be people of joy, not just peddlers of it. I guess 
the thing that I want us to walk away with this morning is how hard are you stretching your head and your thinking, your eyes and your thoughts away from your circumstances so that you can see Jesus. So that you can move toward Jesus. And so that you can give Jesus away in a world that is so broken and lost and looking for joy in all the wrong places. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is that you are our light. And in you there is no darkness at all, but we live in a dark world. We live in a in a world that is confused, that's paralyzed, that that goes to extreme lengths to avoid any difficulty. And I pray, Lord, that you would now we don't pray for difficulty, but but we do pray that while we are experiencing difficulty, that we would be able to reveal your good news to all people. I pray that we could do that through our our character. pray that we do that through our, our conduct, our words. Lord, may we look for opportunities to pray with people. May we look for opportunities to encourage people, to speak into people's lives out of the bounty that you have given us. Lord, you've brought us through not so many things. You've brought us through everything. And we know that whatever we are in will come to pass. Our prayer is that when it passes, that the message is proclaimed and that the master is exalted. Lord, whatever it is, we're holding on to whatever selfishness whatever obstacle we're trying to climb over I pray that that we'd be able to see you above it in Jesus name we pray Amen I want to invite you this morning before we go if you need to, if you need to make a firm commitment to that earnest expectation. I want to ask you to come to come up here and just, you know, I'm not going to ask you to say anything, uh, but I would like to ask you to, to just declare that before the Lord. Just give Him complete permission. And you don't have to come up here. There's just something different about doing that publicly. But if you're if you're trapped or whatever. Let me ask, don't leave this place until you ask the Lord for, for his eyes to be able to see the way he sees your circumstance. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.